0: someone would slander a loved one of yours. Say someone makes an insulting insinuation or an allegation about your father that would actually be a mutilation of his reputation. I'm sure you would like to set the record straight. I'm sure you would like to give the facts about your father and, and tell the people what he's really like. And that's exactly what Jesus had to do Concerning perceptions that people had about his heavenly father. Because human tradition and religion by that time had distorted the image of the father. And if there was ever anyone that could tell us the true character of the father, it's obviously Jesus the son. So what I want to do is I want to put forward some realities that Jesus taught about his father, about God as our father. And so we need to realize that God is the original father, and he knows what a father is supposed to to be like and to do like. And so I'm going to use a parable that Jesus taught. It's commonly known in English as the prodigal son, where Jesus told us more about the father. It's it's found in Luke 15. If you want to follow it in your Bible, because I'm going to uh, look at some detailed information in in the verses, you can start looking for Luke, and um, I'm sure you've heard about this parable, you've maybe heard a a sermon on it before, so I'm not going to share anything new, but I pray that it will be fresh, and although Jesus taught this parable 2,000 years ago, we can still identify with it In, in modern times, we can relate to the story, It's the longest parable recorded in the Gospels, but even though it's the longest, still in in most English translations, it's made up of about 500 words. So it's it's a short story and one of the most memorable stories ever told. In fact, it is said that Charles Dickens, the well-known 19th century English novelist, called this parable the greatest short story ever written. And it's also uh, purported that uh, the American author, Mark Twain, uh, had the same opinion. I did a bit of research on this parable, and it was interesting to see how this parable inspired scores of people. Authors, obviously preachers, songwriters, poets, playwrights, singers, and, and, and just talking about singers, obviously many Christian artists Recording songs based on or influenced by this parable. But uh, I, I was interested to see that, that even the Rolling Stones had a song called The Prodigal Son. And uh, more shocking, the heavy metal band Iron Maiden recorded a, a song titled Prodigal Son. Obviously their lyrics had nothing to do with the story that Jesus told. But they were still influenced by it. And many artists, there's no parable that has inspired so many paintings uh, and sculptures and things. Uh, When I researched, I found about 200 well-known artists from about 25 different nationalities that painted or sculpted some scene uh, from this parable. And among, among the famous names are people like Rembrandt van Rijn, the, the Dutch painter, uh, uh, Auguste Rodin, the, the French sculptor, Salvador Dali, the, the Spanish painter. So many people were inspired by, by the story. And traditionally, as I said, the parable is called The Prodigal Son. Obviously, it didn't have a title, Jesus uh, never gave it a title. But I'm going to show you that it's actually not about the Son, it's about the Father. That's what Jesus wants us to focus on. So I have chosen as the title of my sermon, the prodigal father. And I know some of you may be thinking that I'm making a mistake that uh, I cannot call God prodigal. But um, I actually wanted to shock you in the same way that Jesus did on the day that he told the parable to some religious people. So I'll explain the concept of the prodigal father a little bit later. What is interesting, that during the time of Jesus, there was already a similar story story that was floating around, and, and it was told by the rabbis, but in their version, the disobedient son was rejected by the father. There was another version where the son actually had to pay for his mistakes and had to work to recoup and repay the the losses and regain the favor of his father. So Jesus came with a shocking story here, Uh, but he's wanting to tell us what our heavenly father is like, and he did it in in such a beautiful way. So when Jesus told the story, as I said, there were religious people in, in the audience And here's what religion can sometimes do. It can warp the image of God. And maybe religion has taught you and painted a picture for you about God as a harsh, a hateful, a revengeful, a merciless judge. Maybe during your childhood, in your home, you uh, were exposed to the absence or the apathy or abandonment or even abuse of a father. And that distorted your your picture of a loving father God. Maybe you've never experienced the love of a father. Whatever your childhood experience was or whatever religion has told you, you must realize that God is not a reflection of your earthly father necessarily, but he's the perfection of an earthly father. And so this parable, I believe, can also teach us as parents as fathers, as mothers, about how we we should behave towards a a wayward child. And there's a lot to learn. So let me get to reading this parable, and I'm going to go over it quickly, but we will come back to uh, these verses individually as we go along. It's in Luke 15, and from verse 11, and I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go him. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, as I said, if you have your Bible, keep it open. I'm going to come back to specific verses and words in this parable. There's so much revelation uh, in this simple story about God. So what can we learn about God? What can we see in the Father in this parable from His actions and His attitudes that would reveal something about our Father God? I'm going to focus on on uh, key verbs. And here's the first one. The father released his son. Before I get to how the father released his son, let me get to how rich this father was. He was very wealthy because he had an inheritance that he could have given to his son uh, while he was still alive. So he must have had substantial funds. It actually took the son the younger son, a few days to get everything together. So we could assume that he exchanged the goods for a large sum of money. Maybe he went to Canaan cash converters or to Palestine pawn shop or something like that. And he got the money. And, and so much money that he could travel to a far country. And probably could travel in luxury. Uh, a four-wheel drive with a twin cam. That means a four-wheeled wagon with two camels so the father also gave him so much money that it took reckless living over a seemingly long long period of time for him to squander all, all his riches And then when he was in need, he remembered the many hired servants that the father had, plenty of good food, top quality clothing. Uh, And and, and we read about the robe there. And and it was not just the ordinary word for a robe, but it was a long fitting gown indicating high social uh, status. And even uh, the shoes matched the quality because servants usually went barefoot. Maybe he had an Armani jacket and, and Prada shoes and a, a ring made by Bulgari. That's what, what he had because at that time rings were only worn by rich people. And the, the father had, had plenty livestock and uh, he could slaughter a special fattened calf. In the Greek it actually says grain-fed calf. So it's not something that we thought up. So... Uh, Grain fields. He had. He had goats, etc., etc. And then, lastly, before I get to how the father released the son, he also was able to, at very short notice, put together a a feast with food and music and and dancing, and and everything was spiced up with uh, with freshly ground red hot chili peppers, black eyed peas, meatloaf. Smashing pumpkins <laughs> and don't forget the cranberries for dessert with hot chocolate and vanilla ice and with your coffee, maybe a lump biscuit and M&Ms. <laughs> no, I'm sure they, they would have had more wholesome music than that. But what do we learn about our Heavenly Father in this action of releasing this young man? First thing, God, our Father, is richer than anyone on earth. All the earth belongs to him. All the wild animals, the birds of the air, cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. If you ask God for something, he will never be in short supply. He never had to hog the pearly gates. He never had to lay off some angels. God has enough and it's not that, you know, uh, you must think uh, people in other countries have asked God enough. There's nothing left. God has enough for all of us. So, I'm coming back to God's generosity a little bit later when I speak about the sermon title. But let's look at the unusual request of, of this younger son in verse 12. He told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Wow. And it was not a courteous request. It was actually a disrespectful demand. And he didn't ask for just a little bit of of money. He actually demanded his whole inheritance. And uh, it is said that Jewish law actually provided for a a son to claim his inheritance once he reached a, a certain age, even while his father was still alive. But... The essence of that law was to help ill-treated children. And he was not ill-treated. It was an exception. And it was not looked upon favorably. It was even a bigger insult that he was the youngest son asking for the inheritance. Now, incidentally, there's another law that speaks about a rebellious son being stoned because of his rebellion. This, This is what he he could have deserved. Because in in terms of what he asked, it was an act of rebellion, of rejection. He said to his father in real terms, you know good to me alive. I want what you have right now. Now, something else that is interesting for the son, it was just an inheritance, goods, uh, a property. But for the father, it was livelihood because there are two Greek words used in, in, in the Bible here. And um, it says, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And then it actually says, so he divided to them his livelihood. That's what he worked for. For the son, it was just goods. So what does Jesus want to teach us about this heavenly father? Or our Heavenly Father. God the Father created us. He made us. He blessed us with life. With so many good things. And we are the ones who turned our back on on the Father. We're the ones who, who rebelled. Walked away from Him. But here's what Jesus says. God loves you so much that He's even given you a free will. And God will never force you to love Him. God will not compel you to stay in fellowship with him. So if you walk out on God, he will not stop you. But he will not stop loving you. That's the message of this parable. That this father was prepared to release his son because he knew that he loved him. And loving is risky business. If you love your children, my goodness, it's risky. Because when something bad happens in their lives, or when they do something bad, you're going to be hurt by that. But it's worth loving them. Don't ever stop loving them. So there's a a lesson here for parents with prodigal children. Keep on loving your rebellious child. Don't give up on them. God kept on loving you, and God knows how you feel, and He honors the hope that you have in your heart. So the father released the son, but then secondly, the father looked out for his son because he was concerned about his son and with good reason because the son eventually landed himself in a very bad situation that gradually worsened. So let's look in in, in more detail how bad the situation became for this younger son. He, first of all, didn't move just to to a neighbor next door or or a close by town. He wanted to get as far away as possible from his father and his influence. So he traveled to a distant country. And he then associated himself also with Gentiles who didn't share the beliefs, the values he was taught in his father's house. We are told that he lived a wild life, not what the father wanted for him and squandered the precious possessions that his father gave him. Began to be in need while there was abundance in his father's house. And in fact, when it says that he hired him out to someone who was a foreigner to him, the Greek word literally says that he glued himself to that person because he was so dependent on him. And then he had to to leave his apparent comfortable accommodation in the city and go and work in the fields, and he had to go and do the most menial and mucky of jobs, and that is feeding pigs. And remember, for a Jew, a pig was an unclean animal. What a degrading job for a Jewish young man. And he got to the place where the big slop actually started looking like dainty delicacies, but no one offered him the dubious privilege of sharing a meal with the pigs. Not even the pigs invited him. How low can you go? So all his friends deserted him. There was no one who cared for him or about him. And I was thinking about something that I heard one day where someone said, sin will take you further than what you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. And this is where this, this son uh, found himself. But eventually he came to his senses and uh, it, 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 it says that he realized his lostness. And let me, let, me, let me say this. It was not the badness of his own situation that actually caused him to repent, but it was the goodness and the generosity of his father that he recalled. Because he remembered uh, the, the enough food, more than enough food in the house. So this son had two choices. He could either wallow in the mire or he could swallow his pride. And swallowing his pride would at least have given him something to eat. Although it's a, a bitter meal to swallow. But he decided to repent And made a decision to confess his sins and then uh, went back to his father. And here's what we read in verse 20, that while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. So the father did not see his son by chance. I'm sure he was looking out for him every day, anticipating his return. And he was obviously heartbroken and must have been thinking about his son, looking out for him. And it's interesting that um, prosperous farmers of, of those days had watchtowers in their vineyards where they could see very far. Maybe he had something like that. or Maybe he just walked to, to the gate of his property and, and stood there by the stone wall, staring down a sandy road, waiting for his son to return. And maybe tears were stinging his eyes and, as he was scanning the horizon for this lost son. Looking, longing, yearning for him to return. And then one day, still far off, he saw this stooped, shabby shape shuffling on this sandy road. And he thought, could this be my son? No, it couldn't, because my son walked upright. He was a very proud young man, smartly dressed, uh, held his head high and and moved with, with vigor. But then something looked familiar about that faraway figure. And suddenly he realized, this is my son. And you know, we can learn so much about our heavenly father here. Because there's a scripture that says, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. And this is what we see here. Now, I, I, I need to, to say this. Religion says this. Draw away from God and God will draw away from you. But it's not true. I, I, I want to make you understand that our Father keeps pursuing us. God, this, God did this right from the beginning. When Adam and Eve sinned, they hid themselves away from God. He came after them. And he asked the, the, the question in the Bible, uh, where are you? Not to express his um, inability to find them because God knows everything. So when God said, where are you to Adam and Eve, he expressed his desire for fellowship, for them to return and gave them an opportunity to repent. So God came and looked for them. This father awaited the, the prodigal son. Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost. That's what God does. I remember seeing a church billboard once that said this. If God feels far away, guess who moved? You see, God wants to draw close to you all the time. Gary Paxton was an American pop singer. And he has a testimony of how he tried to find peace in in drugs and alcohol, sex, etc., etc. And one day in an intoxicated state, he stumbled into a church and he had a life-changing encounter with God. And he wrote this song with this clear message about God. And he said, I tried all these things, but he was there all the time waiting patiently in line. Wow. God doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. He doesn't give up on you. And you know, sometimes we, we, we hear people say, I found God. No, he wasn't lost. You were lost. God's not playing hide and seek with people. Reinhard Bonker uh, put it this way. He said Christianity is the only religion where God seeks man and not so much man seeking God. So let me speak to you. If you have a wayward child, don't stop looking, loving, longing, hoping, praying. Keep your eyes on the horizon because trust God, they'll come back. Here's the third action of the father. The father felt compassion for his son. It says that when he saw him coming, he was filled with loving pity. And uh, keep in mind, this was even before the son had the opportunity to say, I'm sorry. And what does this teach about our heavenly father? Our heavenly father has compassion on sinners. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have godly sorrow. It's important because it leads to repentance and ultimately to salvation. But God's grace was in place long before we even pondered on repentance. It's not my sorrowful tears that actually would wash away my sins. It's the blood of Jesus Christ mercifully shed for me. It's not our penitence that purchases our pardon, but it's the Father's pity and passion. Hallelujah. So this parable only infers the sorrow of the lost son, but the compassion of the father is clearly pointed out. His compassion was not just superficial or or shallow. In fact, the Greek verb that is used here uh, translated with filled with, with loving pity actually comes from the Greek word for your spleen. Uh, And and it would refer to your inner organs. And literally it it would mean to have your inner organs yearning, wrenching, aching with empathy. It's it's like the expressions that we would have in in English, like it was gut-wrenching or it was heartbreaking. This was the kind of compassion that he had for his son. And God has moved with compassion over us. So let me speak to the parents here again. Don't ever lose your compassion for your children. And I like what the Bible says about Jesus. Often it says he was moved with compassion. He did something. Show your your love. Do something. A next action of the father. Number four, the father ran to his son. It says that the father did not wait for him to complete his journey. In verse 20, it says, he ran out towards him. Now, keep in mind that this father could not have been a young man anymore. He was a wealthy man, older, a man of status. At that time, in the Middle East, older men didn't run because it was actually not dignified. But here's this old, wealthy Man of status. And I can see him picking up his long garment and not being ashamed and saying, that's my son. And running towards him, casting aside all conventions of proper behavior. And here's what we can learn about our heavenly father. God is waiting for the wayward to come back. And even if you drag your steps towards him, he will dash towards you. He won't meet you halfway because he'll be there long before you know. And it's so amazing what we read about God here. It's it's so unconventional to, to religion because God is portrayed as a running God. And I love what Max Lucado says, an American preacher and author. He says, when prodigals trudge up the path, God cannot sit still heaven's throne room echoes with the sound of slapping sandals and pounding feet, and angels watch in silence as God embraces his child. You run toward God, and He runs toward you. Wow so it is so important to see that that there is a, an indirect reference here to. God running towards us. In the the book of Hebrews, when it speaks of the Lord as my helper, the word used there has two components, cry and run. When I cry, God runs to my help. That's what he does. And I want to mention two songs here recorded by an American group called Phillips, Craig, and Dean. And interesting, they are all pastors of, of churches. The first song is called, When God Ran, and it starts off speaking about how stable God is, how faithful He is, how immovable, immutable He is. And then it says, the only time I ever saw Him run was when He ran to me. And then there's another beautiful song called Mercy Came Running. And the chorus goes like this. Mercy came running like a prisoner set free. Past all my failures to the point of my need. When the sin that I carried was all I could see. And when I could not reach mercy, mercy came running to me. That's what the father does. Here's the next action that we read about in this parable. Number five, the father embraced and kissed his son. And and in the Greek, it actually says he fell on his neck. And it was not just an embrace or a hug, but it was actually a throwing of his arms around the son's neck. Now, remember that this son came back from looking after the pigs. What did he smell of? Guess. No, not guess. Probably some other fragrance. Maybe a fragrance produced by Hogo Boss, <laughs> or Pigo Raban, or Jean Paul Gruntier, or Emporchio Armani, <laughs> maybe Dolce and Gabacon, or Tommy Hilfiger, or maybe it was Calvin Swine. <laughs> Now, I, I, I hope you will that will stick in your, in your memory. The son was still stinking of the pigs and their smelly slop and muck. But the father didn't say to him, go clean yourself up first. He hugged him. He accepted him as he was because the father's love would actually cleanse him. And he also kissed him. And here's something interesting. Uh, 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 The word that is used here for for kissing is actually a word that means intensive, much kissing, fervent kissing again and again. And this is what, what happened. The father smothered his son with kisses. And here's what Jesus wants to teach us. Our heavenly father is not just running towards us. He's not just a runner. He's a hugger. He's a kisser. And he wants to show his love towards you. Again, parents, embrace your children with your love. Action number six, the father forgave and restored the son. If you read here from verse 17 onwards, the, the lost son uh, thought carefully and rehearsed his speech that he would give his father. He would say to him, uh, I've sinned. I'm no longer to be called your, your son. And here is what, the father did. Before he could finish his rehearsed speech, before he could say, I do not deserve to be your son, the father said, Welcome back. And he gave him four gifts. And listen to this he took away his. Uh, shame and ignominy by dressing him with a robe of dignity. He removed his poverty by presenting him with a ring of prosperity. He changed his slavery by giving him shoes of liberty and he ended his misery by giving him the feast of ecstasy. What abundant excessive mercy. Now I need to come back to the title, the prodigal father. What does the English word prodigal mean? Over years it's become a word that is only used in Christian circles. And even among believers, there's not a a, a proper understanding of this word because they think it means lost or or wayward or or rebellious. And, And it says in verse 13 here that he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But here's the Greek word. It not only has a negative meaning, it also has a positive meaning because prodigal, Could mean excessive, extravagant, abundant. Now obviously it described the lavish lifestyle of the son. But I want you to see that the father was lavish with his love. Totally unselfish and unconditional. And here's what it teaches us about our heavenly father. He loves you with a lavish love. He wants to pour it on you. And let us follow his example. Let's do the same towards our children, even if they go astray. The last thing that I want to point out here is number seven the father rejoiced over the son because he said, Let's have a feast, let's celebrate. And uh, he didn't say, Let's have a meal, he said, Let's have a feast. And it must have been such an enthusiastic celebration. It says when the oldest son came close to the house, he not only heard music, it says he heard dancing. So they were dancing hard. It was quite a celebration, quite a party. And the oldest son didn't want to join in the festivities. He was angry. He was, he was jealous. He was envious. Everybody was glad that the, that the lost son returned except for two. The oldest son and the fattened calf. But everybody else rejoiced. And what do we learn about God, our Heavenly Father? God rejoices over sinners that repent. God loves sinners. And we should have the same attitude. Don't get religious. We should be happy when someone receives Jesus. Doesn't matter what their past was. And it's interesting that in the trilogy of parables in Luke 15, the, if I can call them the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the, and the lost son, all of them ended with rejoicing. And here's what Jesus is teaching us about our Heavenly Father. He's a runner. He's a hugger. He's a kisser. And He's a dancer. Because God wants to dance over you. And I love this scripture in Zephaniah 3.17. It says, the Lord, your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He'll rejoice over you with singing. And one of the words used here literally means to spin around under the influence of a forceful emotion of joy. So I can see God dancing. And he, he sings and rejoices over you. Let's do the same with our children. I want to conclude by saying it's interesting that in this parable we're not told how the story ended. It's like, uh, it's like one of those movies that you see, you know, uh, and, and you've been watching it for an hour and a half, and then it just ends abruptly, and you think, what happened? Actually, there is a, there is a, a, a method in this. It's called a serialized story where the viewer actually decides in his own mind and imagination how the story ends. And I believe Luke, being such a a, um, careful, meticulous man in writing this, he didn't just leave at the end. Jesus taught a serialized story because he wants you to finish it. How do you identify with these characters in the story? If you're a sinner, God wants to be your father. If you're a backslider, he wants you to come back. If you had a religious attitude, repent and rejoice over God's grace. And if you're a child of God, be encouraged to become more like him and act like your heavenly father. God bless you. Father, thank you for this story that Jesus told us to show you. Show us who you really are. To show us your compassion. And thank you that you are prodigal in the way that you love us. You are excessive. Your love is abundant, super abundant. And thank you that everyone today will experience the love of Jesus in that way. And if there's anyone that might not know you as a loving father and might not have accepted Jesus as Savior, I thank you as they pray this prayer right now that they will realize that they are now a child of God. And so we pray this on their behalf. Father, we come to you right now, just as we are. Despite the fact that we sinners, you love us. And so this is our prayer. Forgive us, cleanse us, and make us brand new. By grace through faith, we receive eternal life that Jesus paid for on Calvary. We are now children of God. And we have a loving Father in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.
1: Your words that can silence storms, Lord Your words that uplift and brings me new hope Come speak to my heart, Yeshua Restore your sweet peace in me Come
0: speak to my heart,
1: Yeshua I'll find rest under your wings For you give my soul a shelter You wipe all my tears away Your words that can heal my sadness Your words filled with kind compassion and warmth Speak to my heart, Yeshua presence is filled with peace Speak to my heart, Yeshua, proclaiming the word of God. Routine me the truth of your word, Mold me to be more like you. Your words of great might and power, your words that inspire and give me strength. Speak to my heart Yeshua Your word is my rock and Come search me and know my heart, Lord. Help me that I can obey. That I may rejoice in your love. Surrender to all your mercy and grace. Come speak to my heart, Yeshua. Yeshua. Teach me with your gentle voice That I may rejoice in your love Surrender to all your mercy and grace God, speak to my heart, Yeshua Teach me with your gentle voice